Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better, simpler way to buy. With SeatGeek, SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. I've had it for quite some time, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere and with just a few taps. That's right, only two taps usually I can instantly find seats. I actually just use the SeatGeek app to buy tickets to Chance the Rapper later this year, so SeatGeek, thanks for that. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find you amazing deals. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code RINGERNFL today. That's promo code R-I-N-G-E-R-N-F-L for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Welcome to GM Street. I'm Tate Frazier, and I'm sitting across from Mike Lombardi. Lombardi, how are you? I'm great, Tate. It's like Christmas. We've got draft week. I mean, who could, what could be better, right? Yeah, it's like uh, I need Kevin Costner to come out here. I feel like draft day is <laughs> on the horizon. Uh, all good things are ahead. Um, the draft is on Thursday. We're going to talk about a lot of draft stuff today. It's going to be pretty much uh, everything that we cover. We're going to do some draft stories from you. You're going to give us a little bit of behind-the-scenes stuff that happens in the war room. You're going to give us a breakdown of why you wanted to draft Sebastian Janikowski in the first round <laughs> in 2000. Uh, yeah. uh, all types of stuff. But first, we're going to hit some uh, NFL news and notes around the draft. Great. The Cleveland Browns have a problem, yeah. uh, and they've had this problem for since 1999. The franchise came back. They've had 26 quarterbacks, so they've had a quarterback problem for quite some time. Uh, Mitch Trubisky, according to Mary Kay Cabot, is still the option to be a top pick for the Cleveland Browns, to be the number one overall pick. Um, Hugh Jackson has pretty much come out and said that Miles Garrett is his guy as the top spot. If the Cleveland Browns do go out and select Mitch Trubisky, Mitchell Trubisky as the number one overall pick, what is the domino effect to that? What does that lead to? Well, you know, San Francisco is trying to trade their pick. Nobody yep. knows what San Francisco is going to try to do. And if, if, if Cleveland is, is, is going to buy the fact that San Francisco would pick Trubisky, which I don't buy into at all. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and they're going to go down that road, then San Francisco's ends up with Miles Garrett, a dominant defensive player who could be a dominant defensive player. He's the best player in the draft. I think everybody acknowledges when you put on the tape. Now, he had a bad ankle his senior season. When you watch the tape of this player, there's moments of lapse. I wrote about it in my column where you have that Columbo question is, you know, like it just bothers you that he doesn't play all the time. However, that being said, he has rare talent and he can come off the edge, something Cleveland needs desperately. Cleveland needs a quarterback desperately. They also have the 12th pick. To me, I think there's a sense of there's a lot of disagreement going on within the Cleveland organization. We know Hugh Jackson who you would think would want the quarterback, right? Yeah, exactly. It's an offensive guy. Yeah. Right, you know, so, but he doesn't want the quarterback. He wants the defensive player. 
player. Whereas Sashi Brown, who is the general manager, mm. really no background in personnel. Sashi Brown was a lawyer, was hired. I was in Cleveland when he was there. He came in, he was a lawyer. He's never been in the football background. This is truly mm. analytical. And I'm not sure the analytics support Trubisky. There's only 13 games to really go by. Yeah. But for the desperation of what they're looking for as a, at quarterback, they're willing to do this. I just don't. People said, oh, Lombardi, you're just bitter because you got fired from Cleveland. You're putting out this rumor. I'm not putting the rumor out. Everybody talks about it in the league. They actually think they're going to pick Trubisky. I think it'll be a huge mistake, and I think it'll be horrible for Trubisky because he comes in as the golden child, and he's not really worth the pick. Yeah. It'd be a lot better for them to trade up from 12 to go get Trubisky and have Garrett than have Trubisky and say, who else are you going to pick at 12 and hope you turn out? It won't work. Yeah, I think that they are getting lost in the storyline. So Mitchell Trubisky has come out and said that his goal, his dream in life, like the make a wish of Mitch Trubisky as a kid was to fix the revolving doors problem of quarterback at the Cleveland Browns. He couldn't fix the revolving door problem at your own alma mater. I mean, <laughs> yeah. what the hell are you talking about? He didn't fix it there. I mean, <laughs> and I, that's the thing. But I, I think the problem with Cleveland is they're buying into the storyline of here's this Cleveland kid that's coming from Mentor, Ohio, that's going to come in and save the franchise. And it all sounds good in principle but at the end of the day you know Mitch is a very raw talented kid and is they more put ha- Mitch in that yeah. lineup as yeah. a rookie they put him in there it will not be pretty no you thought RG3 was bad last year like it, it, it will it not, will be, not good. be pretty it'll yeah. not be pretty even though they have a really good offense that's the best part of their team is their offensive line so they mm-hmm. should be able to protect them but it's not going to be pretty it's going to get ugly I, I just think Cleveland is panicking I'm I'm under the impression that Sashi and the ownership they really want to have a quarterback but if they wanted this quarterback you have to ask yourself why didn't they just pick Carson Wentz last year yeah you know and then the other problem they have is they have all these draft picks they're not all going to make the team like you mm-hmm. can't have all these. You can't be that young of a team where you have fifty draft picks on your team. You got to have some veteran guys in there. I just don't understand it. I and I and I reluctant to talk about it as much because people think there's an agenda. There's no agenda for me. I mean, I think it's really clear. I'd pick Miles Garrett. I think everybody else in the league picked Miles Garrett. Mm-hmm. And then from there, find the quarterback that you like. And look, if Trubisky goes one, I think most people in the league will be shocked, and the 49ers will be the beneficiary. And that was sort of the other thing that Mary Kay Cabot in the same piece came out. She said that the Jets were very interested in Mitch Trubisky and the 49ers are very interested in Mitch Trubisky. And it's sort of a way to appeal to the fact that they should take Mitch number one because they would lose him if they don't take him. But I, but you're saying that's completely debunked because there's no way the, 40, the 49ers are trying to trade back. So why would they jump yeah, on I, Trubisky? I think the 49ers, you know, they signed Brian Hoare. Mm-hmm. They signed Matt Barkley. Yep. I think Kyle Shanahan has been around where they drafted Matt Schaub down in Houston. I think he understands that he can develop a quarterback. So why would I wait? Like, just like when people have Fournette being the second pick overall in the draft, I just don't see that because Kyle Shanahan grew up in a family that we draft running backs in the fifth and sixth round. Mm-hmm. I think he thinks he can get a quarterback that he can do those things. Does Trubisky fit what he does? Yeah, he does. But I'm not sure that that's really what the agenda here is. I think San Francisco is trying to make sure they get the most value for the pick. And if the if the Browns believe the Jets are going to pick a quarterback, I think they're wrong. I think the Jets aren't going to pick a quarterback. I think the Jets have some affection for Christian Hackenberg, and I think they're going Mm -hmm. to find out whether he can play or not. Yep. And the Jets have the six picks, so we will see what they do. Um, Lombardi, I think what we're going to do this week, we want to talk about draft stories and just the draft experience in general. You've been there. Uh, You've been through it all, pretty much. I mean, I was going back through, so 1987, 
You were a scout, right, with the Cleveland Browns. I started, yeah, I was a, actually, I started 84 and I was a scout in 87 with the Browns. Yeah, sure was. Yeah. So no, I, I was at the 49er draft room that year. Okay. So I did that draft. That was the draft. That was the draft where we drafted uh, 87. We drafted a kid from Clemson named Terrence Flagler, Harris Barton. That We, we had two first mm-hmm. round picks. Yeah. The way I'm going with this is I'm just going to take those examples that you've been through and sort of try to tie it back to okay. the modern draft in 2017. So, perfect example 1987. You're in the draft room. You have two first round picks. Another team that has two first round picks this year, the Cleveland Browns, a team we were just talking about. You know, you have one in 12. That year, what do you remember the, the picks I, I, we that you were had? like we were in the you know we made the playoffs. There was twenty eight teams in the league, so we made the playoffs. I think we were like like seventeen and twenty one. Some, I mean, we mm-hmm. were we were the. But the one thing about that draft, it was this is now we had no cell phones back yes. then. Okay, I mean this is before you were born, so we would always have to call the kid on the phone to get to see if he was alive. There's no internet, you know. We had to make sure everything <laughs> was good, right? Yes. So Coach Walsh tells me go get. Mike, go get uh, Roger Vick, which is a running back from Texas Tech, on the phone. Yep. Because we're going to pick him with this pick. So I go back to my office. I go back to the room and I style Roger Vick's, and the phone's busy. Phone's busy. Phone's busy. <laughs> and I come back in the room and I say, Who's Coach, Roger Vick calling? I say, Coach, Roger Vick's line's busy. And then the next thing you know, we see the TV say, The New York Jets selects Roger Vick. Yeah. And then we pick Harris Barton from your school, from mm-hmm. North Carolina. And yep. then we pick Flagler, a running back from Clemson. And this is really kind of ties in with Mitchell Trubisky a little bit. And then that's when we pick Flagler, who had one year of success at college. Mm-hmm. He was a one-year wonder. And then Walsh, from that point on, always said, because Flagler was a bust. I mean, we blew it with Flagler on the pick. And yep. he just said, hey, look, we'll take the one-year player and look forward. Don't take the one-year player and look back. Take the one-year player and look back. Don't look forward thinking he's going to build off that. Mm-hmm. And that's what scares you about Trubisky. It's Terrence Flagler. So that draft, I learned something from there. That's a And I never, ever since that draft date, I would never call a kid before. It scared me to death. Because every time you call the kid, it's like you're going to tip them off. So you get, you got, you're calling your boy, you're calling Texas Tech running back. You're trying to figure out, you're trying to figure out if Vic's going to be your guy. He gets drafted by the New York Jets. Yeah. What is the process of, okay, we just lost our top guy on the draft board here. Where do we go from now? Is there a plan? Is there a secession plan in place already? Or is it more scrambling around to figure out who's going to be well, our know, guy you now? Know, unlike the Cleveland's got Sashi Brown running their draft, I had, we had Bill Walsh running in our draft. So mm-hmm. that was a pretty good plan. Like in 86, the year before, he sends me to the blackboard, no easel boards at this time. He sends me to the blackboard and says, write down these three names. So I write down Gerald Robinson, defensive end, Auburn. Yep. John L. Williams, running back, Florida. Mm-hmm. Ronnie Harmon, running back, Iowa. Okay. So he writes, I write him on a blackboard. He says, well, when we pick, we'll take one of those three guys. Well, the next pick comes up, there goes Gerald Robinson, the Vikings take him. Yep. The next pick comes up, there goes John L. Williams, Seattle takes him. The next pick <laughs> goes up, there goes Ronnie Harmon, Buffalo takes him. And we look at each other like, holy crap, we got nobody to pick. We're going to pick Larry <laughs> Roberts, from, God rest his soul, from Dothan, Alabama, who was at the, he played at the University of Alabama. So Walsh just says, we need to buy some time. So we trade, so we bought a half hour. We traded two picks down to buy a half hour. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we could collect our thoughts and figure out what we're going to do. So then once we started trading down, we collected that half hour. Then we traded down again. Then we traded down again. Then we had the first pick in the second round. And then Bobby Beathard wanted to pick Tory Hunter, this, this this corner from San Diego State. Yep. So we traded our we traded down. And then we traded our second round pick outright for a first round pick the next year, which Walter Murray, a, a wide receiver from Hawaii. And the next thing you know, we have we end up with two twos, three threes, Three fours, five, six, seven, all the way through. And then we picked, so then we started to pick, we picked Roberts in the second. We picked Rathman at the top of the third. Mm-hmm. We picked John, uh, we picked um, 
Tim McIer in the middle of the third. We picked John Taylor at the bottom of the third. Then we picked Steve Wallace, Kevin Fagan, Charles Haley in the fourth. Wow, Charles Haley in the fourth. That's in the great. fourth. Okay, yeah. so, but what makes the story fascinating is, is that then Haley was the reason why I ended up working for the Raiders because I found Haley and Walsh told Walsh told uh, Davis that that I was on Haley, and that's how Al and I became friends. So, and then Haley ended up being should have been the first pick overall in the draft. Yeah, he was a great. He's player. the best player in the draft, definitely. Yeah. Speaking of the Raiders, you go to the Raiders in yeah. 1998. You're there with Al Davis. You're right. you're learning from the the czar himself, yeah. the, the man that loves football, the man that would take any chance. Al, when you went to Al's draft room, people don't realize Al was responsible for a lot of the things that I wrote about this in the column on the ringer about the grading system we used mm-hmm. in Cleveland. Al was a lot of instrumentally involved with that because we stole some of his ideas. But when you entered Al's draft room, you know, you're too young to remember this TV show called the, the Twilight Zone. So when you entered I've Al's draft room... I, I know the references. Okay, the Twilight Zone. So it's almost like you could hear Rod Sterling saying, you're about to enter a, a place beyond sight and sound. <laughs> so when you walked in the room, so say it's 1999, you walked into Al Davis's draft room, you really crossed into 1960. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was blackboards, okay? No, yep. no boards. We had no names on a board. Mickey Marvin, <laughs> God rest his soul, would write every player's name on the board. Yep. There was nobody was going to see where a guy was going to get drafted, and Al would refuse to tell anybody who he was going to pick. So there was a level of secrecy. Yep. Computers weren't even allowed in the room. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> yeah. we weren't even allowed to have a computer. We had Al Cassell sitting over in the corner telling us who to pick, who was just got picked, and you could, he couldn't understand what he was saying. Yeah, because you know, he, so eventually, my second year there, I brought a computer and I just said, "Hell with it, I, I, we got to figure out who they're picking, or else we're never gonna, we're going to be wrong." So that Al was, but Al controlled every draft. Yeah, no player got picked in in Oakland without Al saying yes to it. One of the guys that did get picked in two thousand, I mentioned him earlier. Number 17, the first kicker ever taken in the yeah. first round, still in the NFL today, Sebastian Janikowski. When you look at that draft, can you just please tell me how Al Davis convinced an entire room of people that with the 17th pick, you guys needed this big kicker who could make 65-yard field goals? Well, so the year before, we lost a lot of games because we had signed uh, a kicker from the Tampa Bay Bucks, uh, Michael Husted, okay? Mm-hmm. And Husted missed a bunch of kicks. And we we basically put him down on like IR at the end of the year, and we signed Joe Nedney late in the year, and he won. He kicked a fifty three yarder in Kansas City in the last game of the year that won the game. Yep. So Nedney really kicked well for us, but we didn't have a kicker, and Al was obsessed with. Janikowski's powerful leg. He can make field goals from everywhere. Now, we think in the draft that we're going to pick, I think this was the Todd Heap draft. We're going to pick Todd Heap Mm -hmm. because we need a tight end. Gruden wants to pick Todd Heap. But Al wants to kind of make his mark in history, and he wants to pick the... The, the you know he picked the he picked the greatest punter in the history of punters in Ray Guy. Yep. So now he's going to pick the greatest kicker in the, in the history of Sebastian Janikowski. And the way Al would do it was, you had a, it was a mind game with Al. So you had to say if you like Sebastian Janikowski, just say Tate liked Sebastian Janikowski, then Al would say to you. I would put it on you that it was your guy. Oh, I'm going to go with you because you like him, right? <laughs> but if you said you didn't like him, yeah. okay, then I would try to corner you into liking him. 
and then try to fix it on you. So then eventually you, it would, so some way it would come out, it was going to be on you. So then Al could absolve. I was just doing what everybody told me to do. Yeah. So either way, it you was were your screwed. idea. It was like inception. It was it, Al it, Davis's inception. Either way. So you really almost like most of the coaches couldn't get it. They you almost needed a lawyer in the room to help you because he was going <laughs> to cross examine you to the point where you couldn't. And he had Bob Casula, the, the, the special teams coach, who was just putty out of his hands. Well, yeah. Bob, is he the best kicker you've ever seen? Oh, he's the greatest kicker I've ever seen. <laughs> it was too easy. It was way too easy. It was like hitting layups. So then, then the next thing you know, we just end up picking, uh, we pick the kicker. So what does Gruden do this whole time when he, so had, when he has Todd Heath? The room's set up, the room's set up that everybody's in the room. I sat across, Al sat at the main table. He ran the player machine. I sat across from him. John Kingdon sat in front of me. Freddie Blitnikoff worked the machine. Mm-hmm. And Gruden sat off to Al's right. But it was one for all and all for one. Everybody spoke. And you were asked a question. You just couldn't volunteer it. And then he would like, you know, and you had to take a position. Because like I, I like when Travian Smith ran fast at the combine, I told the linebacker coach, hey, either you if you don't like him, he's going to make you like him. And if mm-hmm. you like him, then he's going to put it on you. So you got to make the call how you want to work it out. And that you just had to play the mind game with Al. Al was hard to do. But nobody, trust me, nobody was going to convince him otherwise because he could get the room worked out. And, and a couple times we were able to turn the corner on him. And then that was just, you paid hell for that. Was there any time that you guys convinced him to draft someone that he necessarily wasn't bought in on? That like eventually he came full circle on that didn't so work we all out? Liked yeah. This linebacker we liked from San Diego State named Kirk Morrison. He played a few years in the league. It was in the third round. He wanted to pick Jordan Beck okay. from Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And Jordan Beck was like not a typical Al Davis pick. He had short arms, but he was fast. Okay. Mm-hmm. And well, so, the fasting helps. That's right, all I really yeah. care about. So Al makes a commitment to us like, okay, if Morrison's, if, if Morrison's, we're in the second round, we didn't know, he said, Oh, if he's not there in the second, if he's not there in the, if he's there in the third, I'll pick him. He throws that kind of out there, like to placate everybody else, you know. Yeah. So now comes the third round, and Beck and Morrison are there. Okay, so there's a huge fight in the room. Al wants to pick Beck. He's the only one who wants to pick Beck. Nobody else wants to pick him. Everybody wants to pick Morrison. So, uh, so it's a huge fight. I mean, Rob Ryan's a defense coordinator. He's getting his ass ripped. <laughs> Everybody's getting yelled at. Okay, I think North Turner was the head coach at this point. Everybody's getting yelled at. Finally, we pick Morrison. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then and then Pat Jones, the tight end coach, like seven picks later, Beck goes to Atlanta. Yeah. And I can still hear Pat Jones say, Beck just went. Beck just went. And then that just started off the whole forest fire again. Yeah. Like then he just started MFing everybody in the room. And the room <laughs> just vacated. Everybody just left the room because he just got pissed off at everybody. But he would control it. And he knew what he was going to pick. He knew exactly who he was going to pick. Yeah. I mean, we sat in the morning. We're watching Texas Tech offensive tape with Wes Welker making every catch on the tape. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we drafted Carlos Francis in the fourth round. Because he was the fastest guy at the combine. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. He must have been fast. We're watching Wes Welker making all the plays on the tape. Oh, forget him. We'll draft Carlos Francis because he can run it fast. So yeah. that's what we did. But that's the way it was. And, and Al had so much experience doing it. You couldn't fight. You couldn't win that one. You couldn't win. You just had to keep going. Another tidbit from that 2000 draft with Janikowski, the fifth round, you guys took Shane Leckler. Yeah. One of the best punters, uh, you know, 21st century. And we got lucky with that because in the fourth round, we picked a defensive tackle, Junior Owan. I don't want to pronounce his name. He was coming off a bad knee from Utah. So we Mm -hmm. took him thinking that we could get Leckler in the fifth. Yeah. And it was one of the few times because usually Al was never patient enough to wait around. He would trade next year's three to move up five spots because he just he had to have it just like he had to have, you know, his cheeseburger from McDonald's with 11 French fries for lunch every day. I mean, he had to have it. So he was going to do it. And then uh, and then we traded up and we got him. But Leckler was incredible. I mean, Leckler can kick too. Leckler, that's rookie year when Janikowski had something wrong with his foot. 
the day of the game, Leckler went and kicked all the extra points. That's what I mean. It may, it may be one of the best special team drafts. Oh, it was of unbelievable. All time. Yeah, I, I, but I think we were horrible in between. Who else did we pick in there? Oh, in 2000? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty much... It was a wash, yeah, right? it was all nobodies other yeah. than... Yeah. yeah, well, they were all fast, though, I promise yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they, were all, they were all very fast. Yeah. Um, another guy just going down. I was just going through the years, so we're yeah, at the go, Raiders go now. On, that's great. We've got 2003. Uh, we're coming off John Gruden. They win the Super Bowl, right? This yeah. is 2003. Namdi Asamoah is on the table. Number 31, defensive back. You're in this draft room right at this point. When you have a guy like Nambi Asamoah, some supreme talent, a defensive back, do you see the future upside of that? And another uh, to add, to tap in on the end of this, uh, Nambi Asamoah, did he curse the Raiders? Because he gets drafted and then it, it all goes bad for quite a little while. So You know, it, well, it went bad because we misevaluated the team. I think we really didn't. We were an older team. We were declining in terms of our talent level. Our drafts had not been good. Yep. And so when we got Nomdi, Nomdi didn't play the first couple of years. Nomdi was a big, fast corner, but Al didn't think he was fast enough. So we really had to sell sell Al on the time. And, and I think you guys took Tyler Brayton the next we pick. We took Tyler Brayton, yeah. yeah. He loved Tyler Brayton. Thought Tyler Brayton could be... Uh, he wanted to make Tyler Brayton an outside linebacker, which we did. He looked like Herman Munster running around out there, an outside mm-hmm. linebacker. He <laughs> wanted to make him... Because he thought Tyler Brayton was Ted Hendricks. Oh, okay. Okay, gotcha. so every player at the Raiders had a Hall of Fame name attached to him. Yeah. Then the hard thing at the Raiders was Al was like all about speed. So every time the guy would run at the combine, they would add more time to his 40 times. So most teams that guys run at the combine, say Jamal Adams runs 4-4-7 at the combine. Or Darius Hayward Bay runs a 4-3. Okay, so then his yeah. time would, if he ran 4-3-2 at the combine, they would have made a 4-3-6. Yeah. I always wanted to add time. So the guys, and he would never take a corner that was under 4-5. Mm-hmm. He wanted corners in the low 4-4s. Four so that's what made Asamoah. It was a hard guy to sell because there was a lot of guys. Peanut Tillman's in that same draft. He went a little bit later. It was a hard thing to sell him on Asamoah, but because Asamoah had size and he had speed, we were able to do that. And then we picked Teo Johnson, I think, in the second round, yeah. which which was a guy that could really run. But we passed Jason Witten to pick Teo Johnson because Jason Witten didn't have a fast enough 40 time. So that's where we got kind of convoluted in, at, at Oakland. And that's where Al kind of lost a little bit. We lost a little bit of what we were trying to get done there because everything was about the 40 time. And what people don't realize is some of these drafts are not always one person has the final say. Like, I was attached to all those, but and you're involved with them, so you take responsibility mm-hmm. for them. But if you don't, you don't really have, it's not your decision to make. Yeah. Somebody had, Al's making all those decisions, you know? And so, like, I wasn't in the, the Jamarcus Russell draft. I was, I was at the, I was 2007, in about, 2007. 2007. Pick, yeah. I mean, Lane Kiffin, for all his things, he didn't want Jamarcus Russell. He wanted, he wanted to pick, um, he wanted to pick the receiver uh, from Georgia Tech, um, Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson. Yep. Okay, and Al was committed to picking Jamarcus Russell. So imagine that career of Megatron out in Oakland in California with sunny weather, not killing his body. There's right. no telling what would have happened. There's no telling what he could have done. And, yep. But but you know, like we're all people say, well, you picked Jamarcus Russell. No, no, nobody. In, there's one man who picked Jamarcus Russell and he thought he could change him. And I think where Al got messed up a little bit was that in the 60s and the 70s, the culture of players was so much, you could, could change the player. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't as severe as the culture. You could t- bring them into your culture and, and, and groom them in a certain way that exactly. doesn't necessarily happen in today's yeah, world. Whereas in the, it, later, it, it couldn't become that. And that's why the drafts and that's why the team started to go declining because we became so predicated on the top stopwatch. We 
became so dependent upon how fast the guy ran that that's all we cared about when when that was an element of it, but it wasn't like guys play better in pads. Like Terrell Suggs, Terrell Suggs ran a shitty 40 time, mm-hmm. okay? And yet he ended up being a great player. I was in San Francisco in 86, and Bill Walsh sent me to Memphis, Tennessee three times to time Tim Harris because he kept running five flat. He was an outside linebacker, kept running five flat. Run, Go back again and see if we'll get him in a faster time. Go back again. I went to Memphis three times. I ate enough barbecue. I gained 50 pounds. I ate barbecue so damn much. I'm running. Tim like Tim Harris would look at me like, you're back here again, man? Yeah. And you're back again? Yeah, you know, I needed to get back on Beale Street. You know, and I was like, run up five flat, five flat, you know, because pe- people are obsessed with him. Finally, you realize, you know, some of these guys like Suggs or Derek Barnett in this draft, mm-hmm. they run, they they're fast as they play. Not the fast in pads are not fast without exactly, pads. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you learn that, and so some guys are fast in pads, are fast on the forty time, but they don't play fast. That's uh that's an interesting so interesting that. insight. Um, when you just look at the Raiders in general, so you leave the Raiders in two thousand seven. Um, you take a little break, right? You go and do TV, some media yeah. stuff. And when you're doing the media stuff, you're doing TV. When you're watching these drafts and you're seeing how the draft boards are, are you seeing the little things? So like you were just talking about how you needed 30 more minutes. So you traded back to get yourself time. So when we, as me as a viewer, when I see someone uh, dropping back in the draft or like a Bill Belichick or someone, I think that they have some masterful plan where they don't necessarily need these draft, these early guys and they want to trade back and just get more assets. But sometimes it's something as simple in human nature as we just don't know who we're going to take we and we need more time. Yeah, we yeah. just do move before comfortable. I, I think, you know, and that 86 draft was the draft that people started trading back now. And I think this is where Belichick has it really good. Is he gets this better than most? Is Belichick is not about. He's about trying to get. He realizes there's no great player. Like you take the 13 draft when I was in Cleveland. Like we should have traded down in that draft. It was mm-hmm. our mistake not to. And I say our. I was included. Joe Banner was the president of the team. We should have traded down. We picked Mingo. Okay. Yep. We we liked Mingo. We all liked Mingo. We should have traded down. We all liked Jesmond Trufant. We needed a corner badly. And what happened was we we didn't we we thought the player the we we misevaluated the blue chipness of the player. Mm-hmm. And so if we traded down, which we had the opportunity to do, we would have picked up a Benny Logan. We would have picked up maybe drafted Jamie Collins. We would have picked up some other players and we make that mistake. And I think where Bill does a good job of Bill does a great job of trading down and not getting married to one player, just figuring out he's going to get one of several, and they're all going to be relatively about the same. Yep. The only time he's ever traded up is when he traded up to get Chandler Jones and traded up to get Hightower. You know, and then he picked Richard Seymour because he was picking there. So for the most part, he sees them all as like in a stack level, not one better than the other. And that's where I think sometimes we all make mistakes because that draft, when you look, go back to 13, look at the top picks. It was a horrendous draft. There was really no great player in the draft, in the top part of the draft. That was the Eric Fisher draft that goes number one overall. Eric Fisher can barely play football. Yeah, I mean, so it was like we all like there's the misevaluation. People say, well, you picked Mingo. Yeah, we thought Mingo could rush off the corner. And I wrote about this. We thought Mingo could power play with more power Did we blow it? Yeah, because he didn't play with any power. What we should have done is moved down and gotten better players. And we liked a couple of those players. We were getting ready to pick in the third round. I really like Logan Ryan. We picked McFadden. We yeah, Leon pick, McFadden. We yeah. couldn't pick Mouth out because of the, t- the testing. This is where you get in problems, where you don't pick a guy because you think he can't test, but he tests positive. So, and then the Cardinals take him, and you're just like, why didn't you take the guy? Well, there's a lot of indications that he wasn't going to be like this, you know? So, you get in those situations. Logan Ryan was a guy I liked a lot. We couldn't get, we bu- couldn't build consensus within the organization 
situation to draft him. And so you end up, and then right before we're getting ready to make that pick, we're going to pick Benny Logan, and the Eagles mm-hmm. picked him right before us. And then we basically pick the next guy, and it ends up being a mistake. Yep. And that's where you probably should have just said, you know what, we need more than we need a little bit more time. Yeah. And and then we could have done it. And it's really, you know, you're involved. It's nobody's fault. It's everybody's in the room. It's just that you don't have enough. Uh, you got to have enough leeway to to play it off, and I think sometimes you make those mistakes, and then they stay with you. And it and it's a competitive environment, so I think a lot of people when they when they view football and they view the draft, it's almost like a separate entity in and of itself, which it is. But there still is a competitive aspect. So I just want to ask about like the smokescreen of of competition in general, like teams basically putting on a front that they would like. For example, we mentioned this earlier, the Jets saying that they're interested in Mitch Trubisky. Right. Is that a smokescreen to get the Browns to take them number one? Yeah, I think and like I, how much how many little mind games and little things happen like that? Everybody's like visits trying. And all everybody's Trying to yeah. play it. like what I have here in front of me is a, is this is called a mock draft summary, okay? And so everybody does these mock drafts, which are great. I mean, you get guys from their basement in Des Moines doing mock drafts. Yes. I mean, it's great. Everyone's okay? involved now, and everybody's an expert too. Everybody will tell you what an <laughs> idiot you are. That's the great thing when you worked for Al Davis and you've been called an idiot by him. Whoever else calls you an idiot is like ten times lower than that. You yes. can handle it, right? So, you know, so what you do with these though, Tate, is what you do is you collect these and you take the top guys who do mocks. Okay, and then you take all their mocks and you throw all the names in, and then you come out with a sense of where the player is going to go. So, mm-hmm. like, let's take Deion Dawkins for example, the offensive guard from Temple. He's uh, he's right in front of me, so he's ranked of all the mocks, he ranks forty fifth. Yeah. Okay, so that means if you're in a value, if you're sitting there and you have the thirtieth pick in the draft, you could f- pre pretty well say, you know what, he's going to be there for us. Yeah. Okay. Or if you're sitting there and your first pick is not till 70, the chance of you getting Deion Dawkins is probably not very good. So you need maybe you need to trade up if yeah. that's the guy you really yeah. want. Okay, so that's what you use mocks for. They give you a range of where the player is going to go. They're not necessarily right, but they give you a range, and then you can set your board and you can set your movements predicated on that, and then you can do that. So mock drafts in general, just the way the internet works now, they have. They're involved in the process, right? It's not just you have a, you're not scouting a board strictly with your scouts and your team separately of itself. You are taking outside information from these other sites and right. you're basically combining it, putting it all together, aggregating it all, and then trying to come to some sort of consensus right. across so like, the board. Like, like two years ago, uh, we were, Mitch Morris, the offensive center for the Chiefs, yep. his name was never mentioned in these mocks. Okay, mm-hmm. so we were picking in the bottom of the third, bottom of the second round in New England. We thought really good that we will be able to get him. Okay, we thought really comfortable that we could get him, because there was no indication on the, on this survey here that he was involved <laughs> with any of them. Okay, yeah. and yet the Chiefs picked him in the middle of the second. Now, what does that tell you? It tells you that guys. When guys call you up to give you a mock, you just keep giving the names of the players that were already in the mock. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Peppers will go there. Peppers will go here. It's a recycling of information. Right. Just so you don't have to give out any new names Mm -hmm. that you want to give out. Like Ryan Anderson from Alabama. He's not in any mock in the first couple rounds, but everybody tells me he's going to go somewhere between the second and the third round. Well, nobody's giving his name out. Yeah. You see, so he's so there's guys that'll fall through the cracks. So when you put together your top hundred of the mock. Mm-hmm. That gives you an idea about, okay, these are the top 100 players based on what everybody thinks around the country. We have our board, here's what they think, and then we can manage it from figuring out where we're going to have to get the guy. And that's what you try to do. It's, it's really just trying to manage and trying to figure out where you can pick a player and where you can't. Speaking of 
picking players in specific places. Uh, you were with the Patriots, obviously 2014 through 2016. You drafted two guys, two quarterbacks. Yeah, you drafted. Or you didn't personally draft them, but you were there in the process when it when it happened. We're learning a lot today that it's not one single person that is making these oh, decisions, no. well, unless it's Al Davis. Well, uh, or Belichick. Or I mean, Belichick. Bill. But you know, Bill takes information. There's very few now. Now in Bill's draft room, there's not many people in the room. Mm-hmm. So there was me, Ernie Adams, Nick Cesario, John John Rob, Bob Quinn. There were about five or six people, but that's it. Very small draft room. The Raiders. It was like a a press conference. I mean, huge. Everybody was in the room. Yeah. One guy made the call. In Cleveland, it was smaller. Mm-hmm. You know, the president of the team, Joe, he had the final say on the draft pick, so he made the call. But the reality here is, is that in New England, he does make, the, he decides who to pick, who not to pick, but he takes information in. When you're looking at information on a quarterback in general, the position everyone wants to talk about, like you got to have a quarterback if you want to win in the fo- in football in general. So when you draft two guys, Garoppolo is a guy that now, right. I mean, a lot of people value and think that could be a starter, could be, you know, the, the future of the franchise for the Patriots. And then you have a guy like Brissett who showed flashes this year as a rookie. You draft those two guys. How does the process of drafting a modern quarterback and, and, and looking at the value and taking the value proposition in general, like, is it worth taking? You took Garoppolo 62nd. You took Brissett 91. Is it worth taking those guys to develop? Obviously, you have Tom Brady, so you can develop these right. guys. But what what is that process like to to determine where a quarterback should go and how much it can help your team in the future? Well, we really thought Garoppolo was going to go at the top of the second to the Houston Texans. But so when I was in Cleveland, we had traded Trent Richardson for a one, so we ended up with two 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 mm-hmm. ones the next year. Yeah. Okay. So after the 13 draft, never did we think we were going to get fired. Never did we think Haslam was just going to blow right out of the building. So, but because that we were prepared to pick a quarterback in the 14 draft, you know, that was Bridgewater, that was Johnny Manziel, that was Carr, that was Garoppolo, that was a bunch of quarterbacks in that draft. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of guys to scout. So when you looked at it, I we did a lot of work on those quarterbacks. I did a lot of work on those quarterbacks, starting the, the with the spring scouting all the way through. And Garoppolo was a kid that always was interesting to me because he had a great release. He reminded me a little bit of like a little of Tony Romo, but even though he played at Eastern Illinois. So and his character was really good. We had a really good character. His family life was good. Carr was being dinged by his by the association that maybe he was like his brother. He wasn't very <laughs> it's tough. It's tough to have that last name. You know, David. and so yeah. and that's where he, that's people say, well, how is Carr a second round pick? Well, it was almost like he paid a price for that. But his coach, Pat Hill, worked for us in Cleveland. At Fresno State. Right? At Fresno yeah. State. He worked for us. I worked with Pat Hill at UNLV. Mm-hmm. So when Pat Hill came to Cleveland, I helped Pat Hill come to Cleveland to work for Bill Belichick. So... I knew Carr, okay? Manziel had his own set of problems. Manziel was a unique player, <laughs> yeah. but there was problems with Manziel, okay? There was no and, doubt. And building to the problems. It was and, getting worse and worse as the draft. Yeah, and, yeah. and there were stories coming out of there that weren't good. And Bridgewater was a kid that had a lot of things going for him. You know, wasn't... Had an amazing Sugar Bowl game. You know, and but wasn't necessarily a great leader, didn't have a command, but he was a really good player. So there was a lot. So then I, we get fired. I go, to, I go to New England. Brady's coming off the 13th season. Didn't play particularly well. Didn't have a lot of weapons. The best time to draft a quarterback in the NFL, what Ted Thompson showed everybody, is when you have a quarterback. Yep. So he picks Aaron Rodgers, even though Brett Favre's playing good. And that's how the Garoppolo pick came out. Now, the thing that New England does a great job of, when they bring these kids in, they don't just take them on recruiting dinners and take them out. They really put the kid through the process and make them have to. We brought Manziel and Garoppolo in the same day in New England. Mm-hmm. Okay, brought them in the same day, put them through the same battery of tests, interviewed them the same way. And both of them were really smart football players. Both of them came out saying, you know what? These guys are 
would, would fit well into the program because whomever you bring into the New England program has to withstand the Brady element. Yeah. Like you can't bring a guy who's going to look at Brady and say, oh my God, you're great. You got to look <laughs> at a guy who's going to come in and want to compete against Brady. Yeah, and be better than him. Yeah. yeah. You know, because, and that's where Garoppolo really won. He won the murder. That's how you have to approach it. And then what New England does a great job is defining what they want in the player and then searching that out. Teams like Cleveland are just looking for players. That's when you make the most mistakes. Um, well, Cleveland's going to have two chances to uh, to write their mistakes in the first round this year in the draft. Um, just we're going to wrap this up. We're going to look at big picture. Is there anything uh, on the draft in the draft Thursday that you're thinking of right now? Like uh, one question that I have: Do you think the New England Patriots' first pick will actually be the 72nd pick? Yeah, I definitely do. I don't think he's going to move. He's got six picks. Look, when you look at their team. So here's the other thing: people don't do. I, I tweeted this yesterday. For example, the Baltimore Ravens have 30%. This is the actual number. They have 30% playtime that they have to replace from last year's team. Now, what Mm -hmm. does that mean? That means when you take all the players that played, okay, the ones that left take playtime with them, right? Yep. Okay, so you cut Dumerville, he has X amount of playtime. You cut this player or you lose this player here. So you have to replace that playtime. Now, what teams do in free agency is they replace that playtime with other guys who have played. New England lost 20% of their playtime with the seven guys they lost. They replaced it with these guys, okay? So you do that. Baltimore hasn't done that. They still have 30% play. So it's got to come from guys that are currently on their team or in the draft. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I think what you'll see in the draft is you'll see a lot of teams, especially in this draft, there'll be a lot more jockeying for position. Yep. Because the level of players, if you don't get the guy, for example, if you don't get that offensive lineman, if New York doesn't get an offensive lineman, where do they get one in the second or third round? It won't happen. It becomes Mm -hmm. more difficult. So that's what I'm looking forward to in this draft is to see how these teams are going to fill those voids of the playtime by what, what happens. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting draft. Uh, my one big thing that I think that may happen in this draft, I think the Malcolm Butler deal could happen with the Saints. I don't think it will, and here's why. Because I think Bill doesn't really want a first-round pick. I don't think he thinks there's probably a player, and I'm not speaking for him, but I would suspect he doesn't think there's going to be a player. Say, if the Saints give up 11, is there somebody? You have to turn the player into a name, right? Mm-hmm. And you have Malcolm Butler, $3.9 million. That's a relatively cheap deal. And he's on your team. He's a good player. He makes your team better. Unless somebody really offers you a good deal, why would you do it? Same thing with Garoppolo. Adam Schefter tweeted out they're not going to trade Garoppolo. I've been saying that for how long now? Yeah, for quite some time. I mean, they're not going to because Garoppolo is too good of a player. They're not going to do it. People say, well, you're just shilling for Belichick. You're just his mouthpiece. No, I'm just telling you, he's a good player. They're not going to trade a good player for what? The, The 30th pick in the draft? Who are you going to pick there? Who's yeah. gonna Who's gonna be better? Taco Charlton. Yeah, is he better than? Would you trade Taco <laughs> Charlton for Jimmy Garoppolo? Probably not. You won't do that, right? Would yeah. you trade Deion Dawkins for Jimmy? No. Yeah. But see, fans don't think of it that way. They think, oh, it's a first round pick. You got to put the name with the player. That checks out. Uh, is there anything big picture from GM Street that we should get out there before the draft hits us on Thursday? You'll be doing live videos yeah. uh, here with Kevin Clark on Thursday night after the draft reaction stuff. Uh, more podcasts on Friday. This will be the only GM Street of the week. So if there's anything that's on your chest right now, Lombardi, you have to get it off your chest for the people. Well, I, I'm really anxious to see this quarterback, see where the quarterbacks go. Whether mm-hmm. it's Mitchell Trubisky goes one, and then Patrick Mahomes. I know people like Patrick Mahomes. There's a lot of Pat love. Mahomes is a guy that could go to 11 of the Saints. There's a lot of love for Pat Mahomes. Mm-hmm. So. And then, you know, where does my man Deshaun Watson go? I think that's the other thing. I think we got to, that to me, I'm interested to see. People say it's not a great quarterback draft, but there's probably going to be four of them drafted. And we should, last thing I'll say, Deshaun Watson said this. He said, pick Mitchell Trubisky over me and live with the consequences. So, I love it. 
I love it. Deshaun I, what, Watson, he's on top it? of it. Wouldn't you say that? I would say it. I think it sounds good, uh, and I, I think it, he may be right. Uh, you think North Carolina, you think if Clemson called North Carolina and said, we'll trade you Deshaun Watson for Mitchell Trubisky, how would that trade work out? Sounds like I'd have two national championships to brag about right <laughs> yeah, now. That's right. That's right. <laughs> to go along with your basketball one. That's right. Yep. Well, Lombardi, thanks. Uh, right. You'll be back Thursday. Yep. And uh, we'll keep it rolling. GM Street will be back next week. We'll have actual players to talk about on new teams. We'll and talk teams about teams to talk about. Yeah, big picture storylines going into the actual season. So more GM Street to come. Thanks for listening.